you're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. August figures for Ark Encounter attendance are out. So how's the Ark Encounter been faring through the pandemic? Well, if you remember, I covered this story back in May or June, too. There was a complete shutdown in April, so they had zero visitors and made zero dollars from admission fees. That was down from about 80,000 attendees the previous year. May saw 2,047 attendees, down from 90,000 the previous year. From June, things started to return to normal. 40,434 attendees, down from 124,000. 4,230 the previous year. July had 57,632 attendees, down from 160,124 from 2019. And finally, the August numbers show they had 46,562 attendees, down from 104,350 in 2019. I'm honestly surprised their numbers weren't higher, considering the fact that the demographic they appeal to is the exact demographic that's most likely to think the virus is a liberal hoax and refuse to wear masks. But attendance was basically 32% of normal in June, 36% of normal in July, and 45% of normal in August. Still pretty high, especially considering the fact that they don't add anything of value to people's lives. It isn't an essential service by any stretch of the imagination. At best, it's considered a vacation spot. Either way, I guess we can be glad attendance was down at all for something like this. Don't forget, they're tax-exempt, which means they don't contribute to society in any way. But they do benefit from the roads, bridges, an education system that you and I pay for. Despite that fact, they still got between one and two million dollars from the government through the Paycheck Protection Program. So now, not only are they not giving anything back to society, they're taking millions of dollars from us too. Money that could be better spent on educating our kids. Robert Jeffress decided to weigh in on the Supreme Court vacancy the other day. He tweeted, The Ginsburg court vacancy could not have come at a more opportune time for President Trump. Suddenly, COVID and Woodward are nothing but background noise. Maybe to him, but a couple kids in a neighboring school just caught the virus, so they shut down the entire school. They shut down every school in my area. Almost a 1,000 people have died in the past month in the U.S. 43,000 people caught it. That's 43,000 grandparents, 43,000 children, 43,000 moms and dads, 43,000 families are suffering right now, worrying about their family members, worrying about who they might give it to, worrying about whether or not they're going to lose somebody they grew up with, somebody who cared for them. The fact that this pastor only seems to care about Donald Trump is kind of disturbing, but not surprising. The school called me the other day and told me that Kylie was exposed and needs to quarantine. The next day, she got really sick, like... Runny nose, sore throat, coughing, sneezing, the whole nine yards. So we went and got tested, all three of us, me, Kylie, my girlfriend, and we just got our results back today. We were all negative. We were all negative. So I guess it was just a normal cold. But either way, I actually, I have somebody else handling parts of my business for, you know, ease and for safety, things like that. So we, we're still quarantining either way until October 6th. Pastor Robert Henderson says Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg recent passing was no accident. He says he's been praying for it. I don't know what kind of monster you'd have to be to pray for somebody's life to come to an end, but here we are. That's the kind of political climate we're in right now. He says, quote, We were in the meeting on Monday night in D.C., and I told them, look, we need to go to the courts of heaven right now and shut the mouth of the lion judicially. We need to ask for judgment against the lion 
that's been devouring and intends to devour from the Supreme Court. We need to get a judgment against the lion that Paul said God shut the mouth of. So I led us into that place. Well, guess what? Ruth Bader Ginsburg has passed away. That's no accident. He goes on to say, somebody said, now how could you have the authority to do that? Because we're a house of prayer. A house of prayer that's representing a culture can stand in the courts of heaven and get verdicts rendered out of heaven that will allow God's will to be done. He says it's about a blood altar that's inviting demonic powers into the nation. I'm telling you, these people are completely unhinged. They're extremists, and they hold a lot of political power. This is the biggest voting bloc in the country, evangelicals. This is who they are. This is what they believe. I haven't voted Republican because I don't want to further the goals of people like this. This week on the podcast, people of praise. I've talked about him before, but they're coming up in the news right now because Trump's Supreme Court nominee, Amy Coney Barrett, is a member. We'll get to her in a minute, but what is people of praise? It was founded in 1971 in Indiana by 29 people. It's a parachurch organization. If you're Christian, you're welcome, including Catholics and Protestants. By the 80s, the World's Christian Encyclopedia claims they had up to 10 million participants in the U.S. For context, Jehovah's Witnesses have about 8 8.5 million members, and Mormonism has about 15 million now. The original groups from South Bend, Indiana, currently has about 350 members. They have groups in as many as 13 states. And interestingly, they apparently have communes. To live on the commune permanently, you have to go through a ceremony where you pledge to attend weekly meetings and, quote, to care for each other physically, financially, materially, and spiritually. There's a lot more to learn about this group. I haven't gotten into the true cult-like behavior outside of the commune stuff, so stay tuned for more about them. Speaking of people of praise, as I mentioned before, Trump's Supreme Court justice nominee, Amy Coney Barrett, is a member. So who is she? What's she all about? What's she believe in? She's written some articles as a law student, which gives us some insight into how she views the world. She said, quote, We believe that Catholic judges, if they're faithful to the teachings of their church, are morally precluded from enforcing capital punishment. This means that they can neither themselves sentence criminals to death nor enforce jury recommendations of death. So I think it's pretty clear this woman believes religion comes before law. Always. In the case of capital punishment, I agree with her. I don't believe in capital punishment. Mainly my reason is because 4% of the people on death row are completely 100% innocent. Wrong place, wrong time. They had nothing to do with what happened. They're about to be punished for a crime they didn't commit. Until that number is zero, as long as that doubt is there, I can't justify doing it to anybody at all. The point is, she would be willing to go to jail to follow her religious standards rather than the law. The worst part is the fact that she is fervently Christian and fervently Republican. She's honestly one of the last people I'd want in a position as important as the Supreme Court. A famous cult leader from Siberia known as Jesus of Siberia has been arrested by Russian authorities. They call him Viserion. He was born Sergei Torop. The Church of the Last Testament started in 1989. The existence of the group hasn't exactly been secret. He was accused of brainwashing people and taking their money years ago. Becoming vegan is a requirement. They live on a commune, and you aren't allowed to exchange money as long as you're on the commune. Followers count years starting from 1961, the year Vasarion was born. And Christmas was replaced by a feast day on January 14th, his birthday. There's a lot of speculation and questioning about why he's been arrested now, of all times, but it honestly doesn't come as a big surprise to me. Russia's been cracking down hard on religious movements for a while now. Jehovah's Witnesses just got banned a few years ago. Why? 
Why are they doing this? Vladimir Putin's power base is largely built on the church. It's like evangelicalism in the U.S. Trump is powerful, but only if evangelical Christians back him. If they turned on him, he'd be in bad shape. Now, it's not exactly the same with Putin. I think he'd be fine whether the church supported him or not, but they still play a role in his power base. This is partly an educated guess, but I think he's been going around banning smaller religious movements because he doesn't want anybody around to challenge his power. Before we take a look at all that, let's listen to some voicemails. Don't forget, if you want to call in and leave a voicemail, the number is 1-800-701-8573. Hey, this is Owen. If you're comfortable, leave your first name and state at the sound of the tiny truck backing up. Hi, Owen. First off, huge fan. And uh, I've been following your uh, videos since I was actually a kid growing up in the JW uh, organization and I just wanted to first off thank you so much for everything you've done to be able to allow me to be shit for what it is and turn my life into a better truer version of itself instead of just suffering and depressed and suicidal for so long so first off thank you for that and second my question was uh when I grew up uh, as a Jehovah's Witness, when I was 16, I had someone find out about my sexuality. And from there forward, I was forced to go to weekend, uh, like, entire days, like two days at a time, with an elder. And they would go through all this uh, scriptures and publications with me about how my sexuality was wrong and I needed to change it. And it was done until I turned 18. I was wondering if you know of anyone else that dealt with that or if that was just a particular situation because a lot of my family is trying to deny it, but they're all in. So I'm the only promo. Thank you. Bye. That's awesome that uh, my videos have helped you to some extent. I appreciate the phone call. That's absolutely fantastic. For those of you listening um, who may not have been Jehovah's Witness, at the end he mentioned that he was pomo i guess you guys probably don't know what that is most of you probably know but just in case you don't i'll elaborate a little bit ex jehovah's witnesses have this uh i guess acronym system it's pomo p-o-m-o means physically out and mentally out pimo or p-i-m-o means physically in mentally out um pomi i guess would be the other means physically out but mentally in like you've been disfellowshipped or you want to be a member, but you can't be. You're on the outside. You still believe it, but you're out of it for one reason or another. This person is physically out and mentally out, luckily. To answer the question more directly, I think the question really boiled down to, have I heard any other stories about Jehovah's Witnesses mistreating members of the LGBT community? And to, the, the answer to that is yes, I have. That's a really unique description, though. I don't think I've talked to anybody at length about how they were treated within the religion, but it doesn't surprise me at all to learn that they basically tutored you and followed you around and studied with you until you were 18 to tell you that you were living the wrong lifestyle or, or whatever BS they wanted to cram down your throat. That doesn't surprise me at all. When I was younger, there was a there was a dude in my congregation. I think I was probably 14 
when he moved into our congregation. His mom was older, and she had been in our congregation basically her whole life. And her son ended up leaving the area and moving to, like, San Francisco or something like that. And he decided to move back when I was, like, 13 or 14 years old or something like that. And he was very obviously gay. He lived as a gay guy for 20 years in San Francisco and spoke and acted like he was gay, like very flamboyant and things like that. And at the time, what I was thinking in my head was, he's come back to Jehovah. I'm so happy for him, so glad. But this guy truly believes it in his heart and is, for no reason, suppressing a part of who he is. He's suppressing and hiding and hating a part of his core identity. It is so incredibly sad to see somebody get trapped in something like this and and never be able to be themselves. Always hate who they are for no reason. This is completely unnecessary. And it, it it's just rooted in bigotry and hatred. Irrational bigotry and hatred. Now, I saw that guy after I got disfellowshipped not long ago. Like, I saw him in the store probably a couple of years ago. And he looked me in the eyes. And he looked away and kept walking. He, he is in full shun mode. Not only does he hate who he is inside... He hates who I am inside, too. It's an extremely sad state of affairs. And I don't have much hope that he'll find his way out. But I'm glad that you found your way out and won't hate who you are or hate yourself for absolutely no reason. I I will be here supporting you and everybody like you, and every other ex-Jehovah's Witness, to the best of my ability, until both feet are in the grave. Hi, my name is Amber, and I'm not from the state. I'm from Canada, Ontario. Um, And I had a funny question for you. I don't know how much you know the details of the fall of Rome, but I was kind of wondering what you thought about it, because I had a friend before he died from COVID who talked about how the United States looked like it's going in that route. And from everything that's going on now, I'm thinking it's probably, you know, it's probably that and a combination of maybe Germany from a long, long time ago, if you know what I'm talking about. So, yeah, I was kind of wondering what your thoughts were on it. Just, you know. I don't know, you know more about this stuff than I do, I assume. So, yeah. Anyways, bye. I appreciate that. I wouldn't count on it. I wouldn't count on the idea that I know more about it than you do. I don't know, maybe I do. But uh, I'm just another dude, you know, doing my thing just like anybody else. I do keep up closely with politics, though. I watch politics really closely. 
Uh, and obviously, I watch cults very closely too, and evangelicalism and and stuff like that. And being heavily entrenched in evangelical research and study as I am, naturally, politics is heavily intertwined with that research. So, to answer your question, I do know a little bit about the fall of Rome, and of course, the fall of Germany in the forties. It's hard to know exactly what's going to happen next. And it's really scary, but I feel like the U.S. will persist as a financial power in the world because I think social media is one of our biggest assets as a country. Like Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Google, stuff like that. Those are drawing money from outside the U.S. in, and they're massive financial powers. They have generated so much money for the U.S. economy from outside of the U.S., and on top of that, we control our own currency, so that it's that much more powerful. That's why the U.S. continues to be a world power. We have a financial power that other countries in the world just don't. China is a unique case, too, in the sense that they have kind of been the world's factory for a while, and they have their own social media networks, too, but they're not drawing money from outside of their country into their country with their social media networks, not like the U.S. is, at the very least. WeChat, for example... It doesn't generate very much money outside of the U.S., but it's heavily, I'm sorry, doesn't generate much money from outside of China, but it's heavily used by the Chinese people. So a lot of the wealth generation from social media in China is coming from inside of China, not from outside of China. So it's making them kind of a strong nation, but it doesn't really rival the financial power that the U.S.'s social media networks are generating for the U.S. I feel like in the 1940s, there was a clearly defined evil happening in the world. I'm looking at this through the lens of history, so it's, you know, it's hard to say with any kind of certainty that this is how it played out, but through the lens of history, it seems to me that there was a clearly evil thing taking place and there were major countries on the side of good at the time. If the U.S. really started doing something bad, which it has, there have been some really bad stuff, but if it got really bad, like 1940s Germany bad, who would stop us? Who would stop the U.S.? Who would step in? Not China. They're one of the only ones that has a rivaling economy that could take us. They don't care. Not Russia. Russia is surprisingly small, and they want this kind of thing happening. Like, Russia seems to want right-wing extremism to flourish in the world. Who would stop us? The EU pays the U.S. to build the military to protect NATO. Who watches the watchmen? This is a really tough situation. The U.S. is a financial power, and it will remain a financial power for who knows how long. 
because a lot of our wealth generation is coming from outside the U.S. So who stops us if some really crazy shit starts going down? I don't know. I guess we can just sit back and wait and see what happens and just vote. Hello, my name is Renee from North Carolina. Um, I'm currently a closeted uh, queer Jehovah's Witness. And uh, I've recently been having a lot of discussions with my father, and I've been uh, trying to uh, tell him about how, you know, uh, God created us sick and commanded us well, and about, you know, how uh, animals and humans uh, both have a 10% or close to a 10% homosexuality uh, within uh, the population. And he says, well, it's because we're imperfect, and... Uh, genetics can't be trusted because we're imperfect because of Adam's sin. And I was just wondering if there was something um, that I could say to him uh, that would uh, be a better argument. Thank you. Interesting. So did did the fish do something wrong? Did they sin? Did the sheep sin? Did the rams sin? So the animals are, are apparently imperfect also, right? I, I guess they did something wrong. What sin did they commit? God had Noah build an ark and gather two of every animal in the world, including polar bears from the North Pole and penguins from the South Pole and kangaroos from Australia, right? So he, so Noah goes to every single continent in the world, gathers up two of every single species, right? Puts them on this boat. And then God kills literally every single other animal and person in the world. Okay? I'm just trying to follow this train of thought here. Instead of going to all that trouble, why didn't God quarantine Adam and Eve after they sinned and create a new breeding pair? It seems like all of the deaths that have happened up to this point in time right now are God's fault. That's what it seems like to me. I, I'm blaming that on him. That one is on him. Seriously, I'm just some dude sitting in his chair streaming, and I came up with that. God, all-knowing and all-powerful and all-wise, should have been able to come up with that the second he found out Adam and Eve were sinning, why didn't he quarantine them and create a new breeding pair instead of allowing all of this pain and suffering and everything and then sending his, his son, who's actually himself, to die as a sacrifice to forgive us for something that he's upset about? Like, what is happening here? This is the strangest, most bizarre story ever when you step back and think about it. But let me get back to it, because your question wasn't, how crazy is this story? It sounds to me like you agree that this is absolutely ridiculous. Your question was, how do I talk to my dad about it? I'm a proponent of something called street epistemology. You've probably heard about it. I've talked about it a billion times. But there's this discussion technique or conversation tactic called street epistemology. Anthony Magnabosco has been pioneering it. Really, really cool guy. You guys should check out his channel if you haven't seen it. But he pushes this street epistemology conversation tactic. The idea is 
you don't want to give them any facts because they're going to reject those facts. The facts don't matter. In fact, if you're really interested, you can say to them, hypothetically speaking, let's say science could definitively prove that God isn't real. Would you believe it? Their answer will most likely be, no, I wouldn't believe it. I would continue believing in God because he's proven himself to me or whatever else. Facts don't matter in these conversations, so avoid them completely. Don't bother throwing facts at them. You want to start on a belief basis. Figure out what the claim is and break it down. The first step is asking what they believe. There's what, why, and how. What do they believe? Say Jehovah's Witness tells you, I believe that Jehovah is God's real name. Now the why. Why do you believe that? Tell me about it. I want to figure this out with you. Let's do it together. Make them feel like you're working together to solve a problem. Make them feel like you are on their side. That's the key to this. You don't want their guard to go up. The moment their guard goes up, the moment they feel like they're under attack, the conversation's over. There's no more progress going to be made here. So try to keep their guard down while you talk to them. So you've established the what. They believe that Jehovah is God's real name. Why do they believe that? If they're not a well-researched Jehovah's Witness, they'll say it's in the Bible, Psalms 83:18. If they are a well-researched Jehovah's Witness, then they'll tell you, well, we know that the Tetragrammaton is actually YHWH, but Jehovah is the English translation of Yahweh and blah, 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 blah. So the next question, now that you've established the why, ask them how. How can we test this? How can we know for sure that this claim is true? I want to be right, and you want to be right. So let's both figure this out together. If you're right, I want you to convince me. There has to be a give and take in the conversation. There has to be concession on each side. If you concede a little bit, they'll concede a little bit. That's the whole key behind it. And you can even ask them while you're going through the how questions. If I had definitive proof that... Jehovah was not God's real name. Would you accept that proof? Usually the answer to that question is, no, I wouldn't. When it boils down to it, any belief that isn't based in evidence is based on faith, typically. Faith is belief without evidence. Faith is the belief in things unseen. I think that's like the Bible quote. I don't remember the whole thing. At that point, the question is, how can I tell who is more correct? You, with a Jehovah's Witness belief, or Muslims? Because a Muslim will tell me the exact same thing. They are equally as confident in their beliefs as you are in yours. So try taking a more subtle approach. That may have better results. It largely depends on your situation and, and the personality of your dad.
But like I said, try out Anthony Magnabosco's channel. He goes through the whole process, teaches it, has tutorials on there and everything. It's really, really fascinating and useful. So give it a look and maybe it could be useful to you. Name withheld. I love your work. The way you explain things and reason is hard to argue. I wonder if anyone has ever tried to debate you. I don't usually do debates, and let me tell you why. I feel like debates are more charisma contests than productive. I don't feel like debates are always productive, honestly. I, I think that a more productive method of communication is street epistemology which is an influence technique. It's a way of getting people to process their thoughts and ideas and basically come to true conclusions. Generally speaking, I don't really like debating because to tell the truth, I'm not very quick on my feet thinking. I'm not quick thinking on my feet, basically. Uh, I feel like I would lose any debate that I take part in because I haven't had adequate time to think through my positions. But that's why I don't debate. I think it would be entertaining to have a discussion, though. I like discussing things with people. But when you're in an adversarial type of situation, like a debate, I don't feel like much is accomplished necessarily. I love watching debates. Don't get me wrong. I love watching them. I've watched debates between... Uh, I'll tell you one of my favorite debates. Christopher Hitchens and Stephen Fry versus the Catholic Church. I think they had like a bishop and somebody else, a nun or something up there. Super interesting debate. You guys probably seen that one. Did you guys see the end of that debate where the moderator was like rushing people through like, oh my God, just, they were trying to ask questions. They were passing the mic around the audience and she was like, they were just trying to get to the question and she was like, okay, please hurry up get to the question. I was like, did she have to like use the bathroom really bad? Like they've only had the mic for like five seconds. Like give them a second to give it out. I'd be so pissed off if somebody's rushing me like that. Sometimes I can't stand the moderators in debates. Like I don't even know why they have the moderators there. Anyway, getting a little bit off subject here. I love watching debates. I don't like taking part. I prefer other uh, methods of communication. Okay, let's take a look at some super chats. Ryan, I'm girl. Ryan, I'm a girl. History doesn't repeat, but it does rhyme. Interesting. Pasty cake. But God fixed the problem by sacrificing himself to please himself, to convince himself not to send you or me to the burning pits of hell that he created himself. Very true. When you really start like digging into the lore and analyzing all of this, it becomes more and more nonsensical it's completely absurd i can't believe that i ever really believed it but i was taught it from a young age you know that's what happens people get fucking brainwashed matt mcconnell with or without religion good people can behave well and bad people can do evil but for good people to do evil that takes religion steven weinberg very interesting quote um i can agree with that in in many cases for sure it's really sad man i just can't stand it i can't stand what religions and more specifically what cults do to people it just breaks my heart seriously let's take another short break when we come back we're going to talk about donald trump's supreme court nominee and her membership in the people of praise cult so give us 30 seconds and we'll be right back 
You're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. So the next article I wanted to take a look at is on the Friendly Atheist website. It was written by Hemant Mehta. The title is Potential SCOTUS Pick Amy Coney Barrett Would Undo Ruth Bader Ginsburg Legacy. It's no longer potential Supreme Court pick. It is now the nominee. This is who Trump picked as of like yesterday or today or something. This is brand new information. Let's read the article and see what it says. With Republicans eager to pick a Supreme Court replacement for Ruth Bader Ginsburg while they still have the power to do it, no matter how obvious the hypocrisy, Amy Coney Barrett has once again moved to the top of many a short list. As I said, she is the nominee now. The 48-year-old judge was considered by the people who control Donald Trump for the Supreme Court opening that later went to Brett Kavanaugh, and no doubt the GOP would love to replace Ginsburg with another woman. Even Russia wants her nominated. Barrett, who once clerked for Justice Antonin Scalia, was appointed to the 7th U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals in 2017. In that time, to quote Slate's Mark Joseph Stern, she's written or supported decisions that harm unpopular and powerless individuals who rely on the judiciary to safeguard their rights. More to the point, she's also she's almost certain to overturn Roe v. Wade, given the opportunity. Someone who said Notre Dame shouldn't cover contraception for students and was already pre-approved by the Federalist Society as a justice who would side with conservatives for decades to come. Seriously, why don't Supreme Court justices have term limits? Why do they have lifetime appointments? This is bizarre. This is like... They really should not have lifetime appointments, seriously. I think uh, a bill has been written out in the House to set 18-year term limits, which, interestingly enough, is unique because the House of Representatives have two-year terms. Every two years, there's an, an election to determine who gets the House of Representatives. Every four years, the president has an election. And every six years, the Senate has an election. As far as I know, the bill that passed through the House to add term limits to the Supreme Court says every 18 years, they'll pick a new justice. That's particularly interesting to me because that is a multiple of six, but not a multiple of four. So... They're, they would be going on a Senate cycle rather than a presidential cycle. Basically, if this bill passed, which who knows if it will or not, it'll probably be swept under the rug and completely ignored, just like the coronavirus bailout bills have been. If that actually went through, it would mean the Supreme Court justices would be elected in on a senatorial cycle rather than a presidential cycle. So something to think about. Let's continue reading. Another reason she's a perfectly Trumpian pick is that she's almost guaranteed to bait liberals who dare to question her faith. Barrett is a self-described Roman Catholic, though she belongs to a specific group called People of Praise that's unaffiliated with the church. Her involvement with that group was unknown when she was confirmed to the appellate court. Some of the, uh, this is a quote. 
Some of the group's practices would surprise many faithful Catholics. Members of the group swear a lifelong oath of loyalty called a covenant to one another and are assigned and are accountable to a personal advisor called a head for men and a handmaid for women. The group teaches that husbands are the heads of their wives and should take authority over the family. Fascinating. They also believe in prophecy, speaking in tongues, and divine healings. Is it weird? Hell yes. Is it any more weird than believing a wafer turns into the body of Christ, that Jesus died, then came back to life, or that a literal devil exists? Not at all. Okay, now it may not be weirder than those things, but speaking in tongues and divine healings and prophecy, those are unique. It's not just about belief in those cases. To speak in tongues and to do divine healings, quote-unquote, you basically, as a preacher, you have to get the audience into almost a trance-like state for them to feel a kind of euphoria which leads to them babbling nonsensically, which leads to, you know, speaking in tongues, for example, or, or for them to believe that a divine healing is taking place, you have to have this euphoric feeling in your chest, which is brought about by trance-like states, meditative-like states, singing, cheering, prayer, all that stuff adds into this trance-like state. So the point is, it's a little bit different than a wafer turning into the body of Christ or that Jesus died and came back to life or that a literal devil exists or whatever else. I mean, most Christians believe some form of those things, but putting your people into a trance-like state like that is very different. It's a very different situation. Let's continue reading. Raising questions about how her faith might influence her court decisions is almost guaranteed to backfire, as conservatives will just claim the questions themselves are a form of religious persecution. Big surprise. Of course they will. That's already what happened during her 2017 confirmation hearings, when we didn't even know about her specific religious beliefs. Senator Dianne Feinstein created easy fodder for Republicans when she said of Barrett, the dogma lives loudly within you. She was suggesting, not unfairly, that faith would influence Barrett's decisions, but it was widely seen as a knock on Barrett's faith itself. There are much better ways to get to the heart of how her religion influences her thinking anyway. For example, in 2005, as a law student, she co-wrote an article for the Marquette Law Review called Catholic Judges Involved in Death Penalty Cases. If the church opposed capital punishment but the law allowed for it, what should a Catholic judge do? Barrett wrote, quote, We believe that Catholic judges, if they're faithful to the teaching of their church, are morally precluded from enforcing the That means they can neither themselves sentence criminals to nor enforce jury recommendations of whether they affirm whether they may affirm lower court orders of either kind is a question we have the most difficulty in resolving. That's extremely interesting to me. So first of all, I agree with her on this point. I agree with her that capital punishment shouldn't, shouldn't be something that anybody is ruling on. I don't think we should have capital punishment. And my reason for that is, it's kind of a controversial position, 4% of the people sitting on death row right now are completely 100% innocent, didn't do anything. 
they were just in the wrong place at the wrong time, completely uninvolved in, in whatever crime took place. And there was just a straight up miscarriage of justice and they ended up on death row for no reason. Imagine you're walking down the street, cops arrest you, accuse you of a crime that you did not commit, throw you in jail, sentence you to death. 20 years of your life, gone. 4% of the people on death row are in that situation. Until that number is zero, I can't justify the death penalty. I can't do it. Are there people who deserve it? Yes, probably. Yes. But if we can't tell which ones are which without a shadow of a doubt, with 100% accuracy, we can't do it. It's just wrong. That's my position on it. But the real point behind what is being said here by Amy Coney Barrett is the fact that she's willing to put her faith above the judicial system. Put her faith above the law. That's the key here. This situation, I agree with her. But that's not really the important point here, is it? The fact that she's willing to put her faith above the law at all is a luxury that a Supreme Court justice cannot afford. You can't have a justice who's willing to do that. It, I think that should be an impeachable offense for a justice or for a judge. She shouldn't be a judge at all if this is how she feels. Let's continue reading. That last bit is a convenient cop-out for someone who may soon be in that very position. She said in the conclusion, judges cannot, nor should they try, to align our legal system with the church's moral teaching whenever the two diverge. They should, however, conform their own behavior to the church's standard. Perhaps their good example will have some effect. This is Hemet Mehta. It's not, hard, it's not hard to see how Barrett would find harmony between the church's and stances and a Supreme Court decision to overturn what many conservatives have referred to as another quote unquote. In fact, in that same article, Barrett referred to as always immoral and said that takes away innocent life. I think that this is kind of a unique situation that we're looking at here. So Republicans have owned the government from 2016. They owned the whole thing, 2016 to 2018, right? They had the judicial branch, the executive branch, the president, and the legislative branch, both the Senate and the House. They had the entire government, Republicans did, right? It's an issue that they have been harping on for who knows how long. From 2018 to now, they have owned the Senate, the justice system, and the executive branch, the president. Why, in the past four years, have they not done something substantial, something substantive to stop? Why? They, you cannot tell me that they were incapable of it. You can't tell me that. They have been. Republicans have controlled the entire government for the better part of four years. Why have they not done something about it now? This is my own personal conspiracy theory. 
I believe they haven't done anything about it because it brings in a lot of donations. It's a really good donation machine for them. If they just solve the problem, no more donations. They just dry up. They're gone. I don't really have any hard evidence for that exactly, so it is kind of a conspiracy theory or whatever. Uh, it just, I don't know. It, it, it just, it's very suspect to me that this uh, conversation that they've been having for decades is now a solvable issue that they have the power to solve for four years, and they still haven't. Strange. Let's continue reading. In fact, in that same article, Bearer referred to abortion as always immoral and said that abortion takes away innocent life. Would she distance herself from that position? Not necessarily. This is a quote. The article also noted that when the late Justice William Brennan was asked about potential conflicts between his Catholic faith and his duties as a justice, he responded that he would be governed by the oath I took to support the Constitution and laws of the United States. Barrett and co-author John Garvey observed that they did not defend this position as the proper response for a Catholic judge to make with respect for the... We've already pretty much established that she's ready to go down with the ship uh, defending her religion, standing to her religious convictions rather than the law of the land. She's basically ready to be an activist judge. That's extremely concerning to me. Let's continue reading. This is Hemant Mehta. Barrett wrote in 2013 that legal precedent could be called into question if the judge felt a previous decision was wrongly decided. Soft stare decisis helps the court navigate controversial areas by leaving space for re-argument despite the default setting of continuity. That attitude, if applied, could mean the end of nationwide same-sex marriage and abortion rights. If there's a conservative position to take, she's going to take it. That's why she was placed on the Federalist Society's list. That's why, if she's nominated, Democrats must do everything in their power to prevent her from getting on the court. There's too much at stake, and if Democrats are unable to stop her confirmation, they should vow to eliminate the filibuster and pack the courts if they, ever, if they ever get the ability to do so. I agree. I'm not a Democrat necessarily. I don't like the Democrat Party. But I will sure as shit be voting for Biden this, this election because Trump is a cult leader. I've said this on the channel before. I say this with a completely straight face. I've been studying cults for years. He's a cult leader. So I will vote for the candidate that is not a cult leader. That means Biden's got my vote, and it's an enthusiastic vote because I do not want four more years of a cult leader. When we come back, we're going to talk about the leader of a Serbian cult called the Church of the Last Testament getting arrested by Russian authorities. So give us 30 seconds, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com.
The next article I wanted to take a look at is entitled Jesus of Serbia Arrested for Running Cult That Extorted and Abused Members. This is on the Friendly Atheist website by Hemant Mehta. So let's give the article a read and see what it says. Jesus was arrested, or at least a guy who looks like Jesus, a guy who at least claims to be God's voice in this world, one of many. Also, he lives in Serbia. Oh, and he used to be a traffic cop before he formed his cult, which currently has several thousand followers. Totally normal stuff. Vissarion, born Sergei Torop, began the Church of the Last Testament in 1989, but he's been on the public's radar for at least two decades, ever since word got out that he was brainwashing a bunch of people and, t and taking their money. His cult requires everyone to adopt veganism and rejects all exchanges of money within their commune. Everything is banned here, said one happy follower. The only exception was falling in love. Vice actually did a, a whole bit about this guy if you guys want to watch the vice video about it like i said just search for vice church of the last testament or serbian cult leader thinks he's jesus is the title that should get you where you want to go hemen meta says you bet there's more quote th i think this is a quote from the vice video followers wear austere clothing and count years starting from 1961 the year of Vissarion's birth while christmas has been replaced by a feast day on 14th of January, his birthday. That's weird. Hemant Mehta. But now he's been arrested. This is back from the video. Helicopters and armed officers stormed communities run by Sergei Torop, known to his followers as Vissarion, and arrested him in two of his, and two of his aides. Russia's investigative committee said it would charge him with organizing an illegal religious organization. That's weird alleging that the cult extorted money from followers and subjected them to emotional abuse. If those are the real reasons they went after him, it's worth asking, why now? He's been running the same charade for a long time, so if the problem is the brainwashing and embezzling, the better question is why they didn't go after him sooner. It's also not clear what happens to his followers. As dangerous as it was for them to be in his cult, the prospect of thousands of people losing the leader their lives all revolve around may be even worse. Who knows if they'll retaliate or get violent in any way. The story itself is bizarre. But the story of why and how Torop was arrested is just vague and incomplete. For now, here's hoping a fuller picture emerges in due time. It may seem strange right now that they arrested this guy in the first place, but it actually kind of aligns with a broader picture of what else is happening in Russia right now. Jehovah's Witnesses got banned in Russia a few years ago. Um, it was when I was doing my channel. So it was in the past, like, basically three or four years. I don't remember exactly when. Maybe 2017. Anyway... Jehovah's Witnesses were banned in Russia, and the reason they cited was because they're an extremist organization. Now, that's true, they are. But is it right to ban a religion for that? I don't believe so. Banning a religion like that gets them support from human rights activists around the world. That's exactly what happened. Now, sympathy for Jehovah's Witnesses around the world has risen as a result. If your goal is to suppress the religion, I guess technically that's happening, but you're really making them more powerful in death because you're basically creating martyrs out of them. Christians are always looking for martyrs. They need to be persecuted 
to gain favor in the religion. Now, if they make up, they fabricate some BS about being persecuted. Like for, you see this all the time from like Kenneth Copeland talking about how they're not allowed to pray in schools anymore. That's just not true, first of all. They're allowed to pray in schools. Teachers are not allowed to lead students in prayer. There's a very distinct difference there. Teachers can pray, students can pray. Teachers can't lead students in prayer. Kenneth Copeland saying they took prayer out of schools makes his current followers feel persecuted. But people on the outside see it for what it is, nonsense. When you create a real legitimate martyr situation, like Jehovah's Witnesses being attacked in Russia, for example, actually being tortured and attacked and jailed, that's a real martyr situation. That's a real persecution type of situation now. Now you have human rights activists from all over the world flocking in, trying to help them, trying to stop the persecution, saying it's wrong. And they're right. It is wrong to persecute people, period, full stop. It's wrong. So not only do you have attention from the outside coming to Russia telling them to stop. You also have attention going to Jehovah's Witnesses, talking about how noble they are for standing their ground and all this other nonsense. So banning a religion is not the productive way to go. It's not the productive thing to do. So why is he doing it right now is the question. Why is Vladimir Putin cracking down on religion? First, it was Jehovah's Witnesses, I think 2017. And now it's this guy, Sergei Torop, or Vissarion. Why? Why is he choosing now to do it? I believe that the reason is because he's trying to consolidate his power. In the same way that Trump and other Republicans depend on the evangelical voting bloc, Putin depends on the church in Russia for his power. Uh, partially. I mean, obviously, if the church disappeared tomorrow, he would still be the dictator. But Putin and the church are linked. The more powerful the church grows, the more powerful Putin grows. So he's basically trying to pick off all of these smaller religions and trying to push this sense of hyper-nationalism and hyper-religiousness in Russia to try to get everybody into the same umbrella pretty much. That, that's how it looks to me. That's what it seems like to me. So why now? To consolidate his power. To consolidate Putin's power. That's, that's the whole bit here. That's my takeaway from this. The Church of the Last Testament. This is another group that I would eventually like to do a full bite model breakdown on. But from what I have seen, both the People of Praise and the Church of the Last Testament are full-blown cults. People of Praise is a cult that lives on a commune and controls people's information and behavior and emotions and thoughts. And in the same way, so is the Church of the Last Testament. One of these days, I will do a full bite model breakdown on them. Today's not the day, but it'll come. That's where I'm going to end it for the night. I appreciate you guys coming on and giving this a listen, and I will talk to you next week.
If you like what I do and you want to make sure I can continue to do it, you can support me in a few ways. First, you can support me on Patreon. That's probably the best way. But if you want to get something back for your support, you can check out my Teespring. I sell all kinds of shirts and stickers and stuff on there. Second, you can support me by checking out my Etsy store. I sell 3D printed stands for every system from the original Nintendo to the Xbox One. And finally, if you want to support me in other ways, you can check me out on my other channels. I have the podcast channel, which is where I talk about whatever's on my mind. Politics, social issues, whatever. You can also find it everywhere podcasts can be found. Or you can check out the videos on my main channel where I focus on destructive cults. As it is with most channels these days, I rely on the support of viewers like you to keep my channel alive, so sharing my work is extremely helpful. Anyways, check me out in all those places if you haven't already. Thanks for listening, guys.